Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on Dan's podcast is Florence Fabricant, who's the uh, food writer for the New York Times, also the author of over a dozen cookbooks and other books. She's had a remarkable career. I'd like to ask, first of all, um, how did you first get into the idea of uh, doing something other than cooking? In other words, writing about it. Well, I cooked, I guess you'd say almost my whole life. My parents were foodies back in the day when such a thing didn't really exist. But my mother was a fabulous cook and my parents always went out to top restaurants everywhere. And by the time I was a teenager, we were coming we lived in Westchester, but we were coming out to the Hamptons for periods during the summer. And my parents would chase down the top restaurants out here as well. Maidstone Arms in the day and Dune Deck, where they had a fabulous Sunday buffet and so forth. And then growing up in that atmosphere, I always had an interest in food and never thought of it as a career. I kind of fell into it or manufactured it, if you will, because when after we settled in East Hampton, actually it was Wainscott at the time. And in the summer, I would see people in the supermarket buying what I thought were unacceptable tomatoes and unacceptable lettuces instead of going down the road to somebody who had a card table in their front yard and a jar for change and you could buy the tomatoes there. And I decided that, and I was kind of between jobs at that moment. I don't want to get into the weeds over that. But I decided that somebody had to talk to these people and I needed a megaphone. And Everett Rattary at East Hampton Star gave me one. And that's how I started back in the early 70s. I, I remember back then when the post office in Wainscott was on Main, Main Street rather than up on the highway. And I think they had a garden stand out front or right next door, I think. Do you remember? Yes. And they had wonderful flowers. I always bought cut flowers there. It was a lot has changed since that time. But and in many ways, people have gotten into uh, food in a much broader way, I guess. you you've, Maybe you fixed them all. I don't know. <laughs> but back then it was... Yeah, <laughs> definitely there's much, much more awareness. Um, back in the day, I would think nothing of driving from Wainscott or East Hampton to the Green Thumb in Watermill because it was probably one of the better farm stands and it only took about 10 minutes to get there. Now you'd have to be out of your mind to contemplate it. <laughs> Two hours to kill. In revenge, there are closer places closer by, so you don't need to make an expedition to Watermill in order to find wonderful lettuces and uh, 
freshly picked green beans and freshly dug turnips and all those great things and freshly picked corn, the kinds of things that enliven a summer menu like nothing else. I was wondering before we got on the Zoom about how a, uh, a food writer differs from one another. But in reading some of the introductions to some of your recipes, what I realized was that you are putting in the whole context of where you are and what's the, what uh, historically is grown or kinds of wines from the area. And it just must enliven uh, cooks and chefs to, or cooks actually, to uh, be immersed in such complexity and to learn more about how things got to be the way they are. Well, I hope so. I mean, for me, it isn't just an ear of corn. It's what corn is, what it represents historically, culturally in the Western hemisphere where it originated. There are stories to tell about corn that are endless and now, and there are so many varieties. And that's the kind of thing that keeps me going because if it's just a matter of looking at a a zucchini, for example, and saying, well, here's a zucchini and here's what you do with it. That really doesn't interest me. What interests me is where did it come from? How is it used in different cultures, et cetera, et cetera? How is it hybridized? Now there are golden ones. You know, there are questions to ask and answers to discover any, anywhere you look. How long have you been writing uh, the columns for the Times? And there are several different columns that you write. Yeah, I started um, writing columns for the Times back in 1972. They sought me out after a few months of writing for the East Hampton Star. And suddenly I had a career and I never looked back. (laughs) Do you remember your first column? For the Times? Yes. I wrote a column for the Long Island section about a, well, at the time it was Yugoslav celebration, holiday celebration called a Slava. And I had a couple of recipes in it. That was the first. Well, how how are your, tell us, what are the names of the columns that you write and uh, how are they? Well, we'll start with that. Well, I do a weekly column called Front Burner in which I feature new products, events, books, new wines, spirits, but it's all new stuff. I'm not writing about things that have, you know, that have been around for a few years. It's it's news. And I do usually do six items. And then I also do a column called Off the Menu, which features... Uh, restaurant news, openings and closings of any significance where chefs are going to uh, uh, things that we can look forward to. I do a kind of a roundup of fall preview in September to give people a, a forward look for the rest of the year and other features from time to time. Sometimes there's breaking news that I write about online. And because it, the timing is such that it's got to appear right away, it only shows online. It, it isn't in our section, which only comes out on Wednesdays. 
you went to Smith College, and I'm, uh, I wondered if you had any ideas about food at that time. Or did you have <laughs> any other ideas about what, what, what you would become or what you wanted to be? I know that era well, so I thought I'd ask about it. Yeah, um, my focus wasn't so much food when I was at Smith, and there a good reason for that. <laughs> uh, the donuts were great, and the pizza in town was okay. What really began to turn my head was spending my junior year in France. That would do it at that time. Yes. It's interesting. Uh, I lived with a family. It was kind of what you'd call haute bourgeoisie in a nice section of Paris near the Arc de Triomphe. And Madame, who ran the household, her husband had been wounded in World War I and was somewhat debilitated and not working, but she ran the household and had a maid, what we call a bun, and the bun lived upstairs. And on Thursday, Madame would go to concerts at the Salle Playel and leave the planning of the Thursday lunch, which the lunch was the big meal, to this maid. And this maid had a knack for monochromatic meals. I tell you, it was hilarious. There was a green meal. There was a white meal. There was an orange meal where everything, and I don't know if she planned it that way or how it came about. And I never bothered to ask, but we giggled about it all the time. You know, it was like pumpkin soup and a sweet potato puree and seafood in a saffron sauce with tomato and some kind of citrus dessert. And you have an orange meal. There was a purple meal. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was kind of magical, but not something that I would replicate. However, um, even on the student budget, we managed to explore a good deal of what Paris had to offer for the, for the table. Did you have any part in any of that in terms of planning those meals or? No, nothing at all to do with it. Well, back in those days, and I, I've spent time, it was so, everything was so inexpensive in uh, Europe, but there was quite nothing quite like French cuisine. It was remarkable at the time. You think that was an inspiration, apparently? Well, it's all part, it's all in the mix. Let me put it that way. Because by the time I went to France, my parents were dining out in top restaurants in Manhattan and um, familiar with places like Cafe Argenteuil and uh, Chateaubriand and Chambord and so forth. So it, French food was not foreign to me. Do you have any favorites of your, that you like? Favorite what? Uh, I was meals. Oh dear. <laughs> oh, you know. Oh, dishes. Maybe that's a better question. It has. I mean, I have so many things I like. There are not many things I don't like, and it's a matter of context. Sometimes you feel like sitting down to a paella, and sometimes you feel like having a sandwich. It's very hard to, to pinpoint what might be a, 
a single meal, although there have been some exceptional ones in in my career and in my uh, lifetime as it runs. I mean, now uh, we had a wonderful dinner at Daniel Boulud's new brasserie, Le Gratin downtown about a month or two ago. And I, and that was memorable, uh, a recent memorable experience. I bought some of uh, Meacock's farms beef at the farmer's market last week. And I bought a couple of steaks just because I was curious and they're grass fed. And I have to tell you, they were pretty wonderful, tender, very tasty, reliable. And it was so nice that this is a local resource. They do more than cheese. Yes, they do. There are places, uh, out here where the grazing land is being rented out for beef. Right? Yeah. That's an interesting, we also- well, McCall, There's McCall up on the North Fork who thinks he's in Burgundy because he's raising oh. Chapelet cattle, uh, cultivating Pinot Noir, and he's got a guy on his land doing snails. I mean, how more Burgundian can oh. you get than that? <laughs> um, tell us, uh, when did you write your first book? Was that- um, what was that in terms of your career and what was it? It was called Pleasures of the Table. And it was a compilation of a, a series of columns that I did. It was a menu cookbook, a series of columns that I did for a magazine uh, called Holiday that was run by Har Sutton. And he got me to do a food column. And then that was assembled into a cookbook published by Abrams. Are they all successful or are there some more than others? The cookbooks? Yeah. I would say my most successful cookbook so far was a benefit cookbook for Sloan Kettering called Park Avenue Potluck. I saw that. How does that distinguish itself from some of the others? Well, it was based on recipes provided by this uh, committee that of high-end socialite volunteers oh. for Kettering. And it was their recipes. And let me tell you, I went through about 400 recipes to find about 100 of them that were not either taken from some other publication or made with cream of tomato soup or had some other feature that I found unacceptable. It was, it was quite a job. In fact, my husband said that I shouldn't even contemplate that project because I'd never find a single good recipe, but actually there were a number of them. Uh, so it worked out well. Are you planning on another book soon? No. Or, uh, what, when was the last one you wrote? The last one was um, the LVIS cookbook that came out last year. My mother had a, a uh, recipe in that book back in the day. Well, that, there have been a, quite a number of LVIS cookbooks. This is the most recent one. And I would say it's the most elaborate one because it's not a little spiral bound book, but it's, yes. full, it's a full color, uh, what you would say, coffee table or kitchen table or kitchen counter book, but very much rooted 
in the east end of Long Island to the point where there is no recipe for salmon. Well, there shouldn't be. I know, but <laughs> tell people that because all they, you know, well, that's all anybody wants to buy. And I'll tell you right, right now, it's wild salmon season, king and sockeye in Alaska. And that's the one, it's the one time when those fish are in season, it's the one time that I seek out salmon because they are wonderful. Thank you very much for uh, your time and having this interview with me. I enjoyed it. I'm talking to Florence Fabricant, a food writer and uh, author of cookbooks. And uh, it's a pleasure to have had you on the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Long may you wave. <laughs> Thank you, too. Thank you.